We begin tonight's CBS Evening News with breaking news. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted on charges of mishandling classified documents at his Florida estate. For the first time in American history, a former president is facing federal charges. Donald Trump posting on social media just tonight that he is expected to surrender to authorities in Miami on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mr. Trump calling this a dark day for America. We recorded today's episode and then overnight news broke that Donald Trump has been charged by a federal grand jury over his handling of classified documents after he left the White House. Surprise, surprise. Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post got up early to jump on this call to fill us in on what we know now and where this thing goes from here. Marion, seven charges over unauthorized retention of classified files. The charges aren't public yet, so what do we know? Right, Charlotte. Yeah, um, you know, we knew this was coming and we've spoken about it and we knew it was coming down the pipe and we knew it was getting sooner and sooner. What we know is that these are pretty serious charges. Now, people have been very critical by comparison of the New York Attorney General's, or I beg your pardon, District Attorney's decision to bring 34 indictments on, you know, hushed money charges and various financial campaign fraud, campaign finance violations. This is the big stuff. Now, this is stuff where a former, a sitting U.S. president at the time and and now a former U.S. president is being charged with taking documents unlawfully and with basically putting U.S. national security and U.S. secrets, defense secrets at risk. Um, And that when America, when the Department of Justice and the National Archives tried to get them back, he repeatedly blocked them. They are alleging he stole them. And, and you know, it finally he defied a subpoena and it was only, you know, he's, his legal team sent a legal letter that was lying about them having returned all the documents and finally culminating in, as we know, an FBI search warrant execution and, and documents being seized. This, this um, is very, very serious. No matter mm. what way you look at it, I'm not just talking about the potential jail time which could be up to 30 years um, if he were found guilty on on these charges. This is going to cause legal chaos in the sense that one of these um, acts that he's been charged under, the Espionage Act, says that anybody who is caught either stealing or destroying um, official documents will never be able to serve in office again. Now, in federal office, that would seem to include a president. Now, I suspect that on that one, even if he were convicted, he would go all the way to the Supreme Court and say, it doesn't say that in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say a president can't be convicted of a crime. But that is the sort of murder key legal waters you're getting into even further down. So even if, you know, I don't even know, and I spoke to a friend of mine who used to be a federal prosecutor, and I was just chatting with him about this, and I'm saying, when can they bring this case conceivably? Because uh, the the um, New York criminal case is, is booked in for, I think it's next March um, or thereabouts. So it's right bang in, in primary season. Um, he will need time to prepare for this trial. He he has to be given time to prepare for a trial of this enormity. He has to get a fair trial. Um, it's going to be held in Miami, we think. Um, 
or, or possibly even in Palm Beach, there are certain legal complications. But we, you know, that that's very much getting down the weeds about the venue. Uh, and he may try and kick this back to a point where uh, it would happen beyond primary season, and then you're right up against the 2024 election. And he could argue then that it is really impeding his effort to conduct his campaign, and it's you know it's obstructing it. In which case, it could be postponed possibly even until after the election. This is what, as I said, a friend of mine who spent a long time in the Southern District of New York, um, and, and he said he just cannot see a good window to conduct this trial between now and, and next summer. Wow. And any, at any point beyond that, you know, you're going to be getting into legal challenges from Trump about the impact it would have on his ability to run. Of course, all of that could be resolved if he's defeated in the primaries, which is still a possibility. And, you know, there is possibly, arguably, even more of a possibility that, you know, Americans might say now, oh, God, look, how, you know, how's this ever going to work and start looking at other candidates? But it's very, very serious. It has huge legal implications. I, I find it depressing. I know there are a lot of you know, I've seen a lot of the stuff online and I've even seen people on news channels. And I think that Lee is a little bit unseemly. To me, it's really sad for America that you have a former president who isn't just being hauled up in, at a state level on criminal charges. He's being hauled up on the most, I th- to my mind, the most damaging charges a former president could be charged with, which, you know, it goes to the very core of his number one job is to keep America safe. And, you know, we were hearing about him having documents to do with attacks on Iran about we don't know who he spoke to them about. We know there's a conspiracy charge in there somewhere. Um, the sense that I'm getting, and I'm getting this from having spoken to people within the legal system here, that that conspiracy may be somebody quite junior. It may be somebody like his valet or one of the the. Um, you know, the staffers around Mar-a-Lago that he directed to move boxes the day before the Department of Justice people arrived to, to have a look around and to take them. So, you know, a conspiracy could be if he said to somebody, look, I want you to hide these and they agreed to hide them or I want you to move them from X to Y or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be all that sinister. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly, um, you know, we we don't know if documents were destroyed. We don't know if documents were disseminated. Now, at the moment, we just don't know. The Department of Justice, and it's really not their fault. And again, there's been a lot of criticism already. But, you know, what are they supposed to do? Donald Trump did exactly what he did uh, with Alvin Bragg, where he went out online and he basically got a head start. He, he stole the narrative, came out and said, I've been indicted, just like he said, I'm going to be arrested. Now send me loads of money. And, you know, he's done that again. But because wow. he came out with it immediately, he hasn't even seen the indictment. He probably won't see that until ne- until Tuesday. Um, but he came out immediately. His lawyers were barely off the phone, if they even were, and posted on Truth Social. So that it means that he has captured the news cycle once again, which he is so clever at. And now the Department of Justice are scrambling after him. Now, I don't think that Jack Smith, who is the special counsel, will be even slightly intimidated. He hasn't said a word. And I understand even in the meeting with Trump's lawyers, 
um, last week that he attended that he said nothing other than hello and goodbye. They were the only words mm. apparently he said in the entire meeting. He's a very, very inscrutable prosecutor. He's very tough. He's very experienced. But it means that Merrick Garland and Joe Biden, Kevin McCarthy came out with the most disingenuous um, statement saying that Joe Biden had basically indicted Trump because he's his political opponent. Now, Holy Joe God. Biden can't indict anyone. Yeah. He has nothing to do with the Department of Justice. And he has been meticulous about not wanting to even know what the Department of Justice is doing. So, you know, but but now that you've got, as I say, with, with Trump sort of storming out of the starting blocks with this, the Department of Justice in terms of the perception game, and it is is really important in terms of trying to persuade the American public that this is not a witch hunt. This is not an attempt to block Donald Trump from running again. This is not an attempt to destroy his campaign. You know, they really have their work cut out for them and they shouldn't have to do that because you're not supposed to have to explain anything if you investigate and indict somebody. You know, the indictment should speak for itself. So it's it's really unfortunate uh, for the American people on a number of levels. And I think this is going to be very, very divisive. Now I'm going to be going to um, Florida on Sunday. And I, I there are also concerns and there are legitimate concerns. I was in New York for the last, um, for when, when Trump was arraigned uh, in, in, in front of Alvin Bragg and, and the, the court there on the 34 charges. Uh, but in New York, there are 37,000 police officers and they are tough as hell. And they were all on duty that day. Nobody was allowed to take time off. Miami has about a thousand police officers. And even if they bring in all of the cops and reserves from Miami-Dade, you're still talking maybe four or five thousand. And I really think this is Trump country. The trial has to happen here uh, because the 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 crimes essentially are the alleged crimes and they are alleged crimes and Donald Trump is like everyone innocent until proven guilty but that was where the documents were mishandled that's where they were stored that's where the def- the subpoena was defied so they could bring some of it in in Washington but that would just lead to a year's worth of legal actions about the venue etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think it was a smart move to to just go straight to Florida, Mm. but it brings a lot of problems. And, you know, any time I've been in Florida, even when Trump isn't involved in a controversy, which admittedly is rare enough, you still have people outside protesting that the election was stolen. Two years later, you still have people who are basically, you know, sort of ginning it up for Trump on any level that they can find. It's a volatile state. And I really do feel hopefully it'll all go off very, very smoothly. You know, on Tuesday, he basically goes in, the charges are read out to him in the federal court of Miami. He pleads guilty or not guilty. And and that's sort of it until, you know, the, the, then you have the, the whole extensive legal process kicks in then and discovery and what have you and court dates have to be set and all that kind of thing. Uh, so it, it's going to be a complex trial. It's going to be probably one that Donald Trump, as I said, will try to delay. And he is within his rights to be given enough time to prepare for it. Uh, And and I just feel, you know, that as I say, I I don't understand the glee that some people are are expressing. I, I think it's a really sad day for America that they've had a president who was impeached twice, who has now been indicted, as I say, in the federal courts and in the state courts. And, you know, that we'll see how all this turns out. There is no guarantee, I mean, with 
we don't know how the criminal justice system will work in both of these cases. I do think that Jack Smith is an exemplary prosecutor. I do think Merrick Garland has been so meticulous about being non-political, but it doesn't matter because he is constantly being, he has been from the get-go dubbed as a, just a political plaything of Joe Biden's, as a political puppet, as somebody who's after the Republicans. And, and, you know, even though there isn't a screed of evidence to support that. So I think it's going to make for a very roiling, unpleasant um, summer. And I think that this election um, season is, is now, you know, it's going to be chaotic, I think, to, to put it mildly. Well, the rest of our episode is about the oddballs assembling, the candidates that are running for Republican nomination. And they will be rubbing their hands together, or will they, Marion? My final question to you before we go to the rest of that episode is... Trump can turn this into a positive. He agrees with yeah. you. In his Truth Social post, he says, I never thought it was possible. Could a former president be in this situation? It's a dark day for America. I mean, within that, there is obviously the truth of why this happened. He thought, I'm president. I can do whatever the hell I like. These exactly. are my documents. I'm making them, declassifying them. Question is, will those oddballs be allowed to bring this up in debates? Or could this actually work as a positive for him where he's able to say in debates, oh, yeah, on that big thorny issue of me committing this obvious crime where there's photo and video evidence, you can't talk to me about it because the investigation is still underway. Indeed, he could say that, but that would presume that he'll bother turning up for debates at all. And you have to wonder, why would he? If you've already got 50% of the vote, you know, what, do you need to go on stage with a bunch of people mm. with three, four, five percent who just want to <laughs> take think, a pot shot at you? I think we know why. I think we know why he might. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think you will have Chris Christie, of course, who will come out swinging and has already about that. You have Asa Hutchinson, the, the guy from Arkansas, the governor of Arkansas, who has said, we cannot be expected to um, take it, you know, to a pledge to support a candidate if he's been convicted of crimes or charged with crimes, you know. So they've shown some sort of reluctance. Ron DeSantis, interestingly, he straight after Trump, um, I don't know if it was just bad timing, after the Trump's, the uh, Fruit Social post, I got a, a text from Ron DeSantis along with 10 million other people um, saying, send me money, send me money. You know, I need this money immediately. Uh, but he then came out and said, well, why aren't they going after Hunter Biden? And what, You know, but it was kind of mealy mouthed. You know, I mm. suspect that Ron DeSantis feels if anyone's going to benefit from this, it's going to be him. It's probably him. Yeah. Well, we have a jam packed episode for you. Uh, thank you, Marion, for jumping on and doing this little update beforehand so that we didn't sound like dinosaurs in that episode. But there's an awful lot <laughs> in that. Here. <laughs> uh, yeah, as we hear from who are these people that are lining up to take the spot and Marion reviews all of the news from the US this week, including an attempt to bar Prince Harry from the place. My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history 
Has there been an uprising like this? Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America from the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network with me, Jarlath Regan over here and Marion McKeown over there. An awful lot of news to get through this week, Marion, not least the plethora of candidates and chancers lining up to take the spot that a lot of people are starting to feel Donald Trump won't get to occupy. Before we get going, what is your gut telling you right now in terms of why this number of people are lining up and whether there is something they don't know or they know that we don't about his chances of running? You know, Charlotte, my first instinct on this is that politicians Uh, Republican and Democrat just never learn from history. What we're looking at at the moment is 2016 all over again. And Donald Trump is thrilled because the more people that are in the field, we're up to about nine or 10 now, I think, um, including the governor from North Dakota, who got completely bigfooted by Mike Pence. And the more candidates there are, the more that take one or two or three or four percent, the more that will take away from Ron DeSantis, not Donald Trump. And I think that Donald Trump sees this as being being the best of all possible worlds for him, because this is exactly how he won the nomination in 2016. He was the guy who stood out. He was literally the elephant in the room. You couldn't miss him. Mm. He just cast a shadow over everybody else. He sucked up all the oxygen. I remember being at debates back then um, in 2015, 2016, when he was on stage with nine or 10 people. They couldn't get a word in. And every, you know, it was a, yeah, it was it was a spectacle, yeah. and you yeah. must be rubbing your hands together to a degree that oh, you know no. we, we quite a few contenders who might just hog some of the airtime, including Chris Christie, who's the first person of all of these line up this like murderers row of chancers and uh, like God, Mike Pence just looked like he had less of a pulse than ever before. But Chris Christie is the first one to openly reference Trump himself as being a loser, as kind of this emperor with no clothes. I believe that America's greatness resides out there among all of you and that any of us who get the opportunity to serve are merely temporary stewards of that greatness who just want an opportunity to make it a little bit greater. And if you can't admit to the people you want to lead that you're not gonna be perfect, if you decide that the people who you ask to come with you to lead will always be the ones who are blamed when anything goes wrong, that they'll be called names, that they'll be dismissed, and that after they leave your service, they're nothing but idiots, beware. Because that leader not only will not serve you, they will not be able to find anybody who will serve them. And a lonely, self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog is not a leader. That's really the first Republican to do that, is it not? 
Well, you know, the story of Chris Christie and Trump, it is the most fascinating story, I think, in politics and the most bizarre one. Now, I am skeptical about Chris Christie because Chris Christie back in 2016 was the big tough guy from New Jersey and he was the guy who was going to, he sounds and talks a bit like a Tony Soprano and he he makes a virtue out of the vice of being rude and bumptious and but he can be very entertaining mm-hmm. he's a larger than life character I mean to me Chris Christie entering the fray it means okay at least there'll be some fun it won't be <laughs> yeah. it, it won't be the dreary Ron DeSantis droning on in that robot voice and Trump just you know tweeting in all caps <laughs> 24 hours a day with exclamation marks and mm. fantasy thrown in. Chris Christie is a former federal prosecutor. He's a smart guy and he can be very good at putting people in their places because he's pretty damn rude and he doesn't really care about offending people all that much, which makes his history of Trump all the more fascinating because I'm going to rewind back very briefly to 2016 when he was a contender and Trump was a contender and Trump used to mock him about being overweight and all kinds of things and he was nasty to him. And particularly since they had been friends or they'd known each other pretty well for about 12 years before that. And anyway, then after Christie said Trump wasn't fit to be president, he should never be president, Trump gets the nomination and Christie immediately did a full 180 and he became, at the time, Trump's most groveling sink of hands. Like literally, and he he used to go and get him his Big Macs for God's sake. Like there was nothing that wasn't, you know, that was too demeaning for him to do. Um, at the time, it seems, and he's kind of pretty well admitted it now, look, Trump was going to get the nomination. It was a done deal, basically. And he was obviously angling to become the next attorney general or to get some big job in the cabinet. Now, Trump played him along and played him along, and he even allowed him to be in charge of his transition team for a while. Um, it, but, well, that was back in 2020 before he fired him from that. But back in 2016, he never had any intention of giving him a cabinet position. And the reason why, and we spoke about this before, was Jared Kushner's father, Charlie Kushner, was a spectacularly unsavory individual. He was a property developer and did all kinds of things. Spoiled little Charlotte Rotten, bought him a newspaper for his 25th birthday as a present. Basically, but a a really bizarre character and to the point where he had a brother-in-law who had worked with him. They fell out and the brother-in-law said that he was going to testify um, about Jared Kushner's dad, about Charlie Kushner, basically make, you know, breaking laws with, to do with the campaign violations and tax offences and things like that. So it was decided by Jared Kushner that he would hire a prostitute to sleep with his brother-in-law. This is his sister's husband. And that he would set it up so that it would be uh, happen in a sleazy hotel room somewhere in New Jersey, and that he would have cameras in the room, and that then he'd be able to blackmail his brother-in-law by saying, if you go to the, if you talk to the feds, I'm giving this to my sister. So anyway, that's the, that's the lovely level of, of family family values in the Kushner family. So anyway, um, when when this happened, uh, Charlie Kushner's sister and and the, the the husband who was who was set up with the prostitute, although he did go there willingly, he was not. She didn't hold a gun to his head, but they went to the feds themselves and they said, "Look, look, look what Charlie's trying to do here. He's he's trying to." to blackmail us, to prevent us from testifying in this case. 
case. So Chris Christie at the time was the prosecutor in New Jersey and he went after Kushner and he's like there was and he, he charged him with basically tamper, witness tampering with campaign violence finance violations with about 16 or 18 different tax violations. And Kushner ended up going to prison for two years. Now, that a lot of people thought that was a pretty damn light sentence uh, because, you know, tampering with federal witnesses is a big no-no. But anyway, he got a two-year sentence. He served about 16 or 18 months of it. And during the sentence, uh, Jared Kushner would go and visit him every Sunday. And he was very much the loyal son. But as a result, now Kushner pleaded guilty. There was no question but that he did it, that, you know, everyone knew he had done it. But Jared Kushner, of course, blamed Chris Christie and seemed to feel that because his dad was, you know, Mr. Kushner, the billionaire, that Chris Christie had no business bringing charges at all, even though he had admitted to, to having committed 16 or 18 different crimes. Uh, so, so anyway, it was very clear that from the beginning that Jared Kushner, who had inserted himself into the, the core of the Trump campaign from the outset, um, that there was no way Chris Christie was going to get a cabinet position. And everyone knew that except Chris Christie, who for, <laughs> through ego or delusion or naivety or actually believing Trump and taking Trump at his word, let Trump run rings around him the whole way through 2016, right up to 2020. He was his fiercest defender. No matter what Trump did, he was on TV and he was yelling down the, the microphone at any of Trump's detractors. And he's an intimidating guy. Like I said, he's a big guy. He's he he's very overweight. There's you know what I mean. He he admits he's, he's a he's young not, guy. He's only sixty. He's about he's, sixty. He's a chicken. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but uh, didn't, isn't this the same guy who Trump gave COVID? Uh, yeah, he nearly killed him. <laughs> another another thing. Another reason. Um, yeah, because Chris Christie was helping him to prep for his debates. And Trump, of course, Trump didn't tell anyone that he thought he, he had been exposed to COVID. He, he, he nearly, he probably would have killed Joe Biden as well if Joe Biden had gotten near him. Because at that stage, during that debate, um, he apparently already had COVID. And, and there was a, you know, it was more likely than not that he knew or that he, he was certainly concerned that he had. Um, and so Chris Christie became extremely ill with COVID. He almost died, and uh, but he, he did thankfully recover. As I say, he's an entertaining guy. He's, he's, he's another schoolyard bully. He can be funny, but he's generally quite obnoxious. And he believes now that, look, Chris Christie isn't that big an idiot. He knows he has no chance, no yeah. chance. And of, he has done this before. He, this is not his first before. rodeo. He, he came about 10th in New Hampshire and about 5th in Iowa. Like, he, he's never been at the races. But he's the entertainment. He's the court mm. jester in these things. But I, his, his mission now, which he has accepted and, and given himself, is not to actually win. It's to stop Trump from winning the nomination. Mm. That's what he wants to do. So he believes that if he goes out there and he keeps taking pot shots at Trump because he says everyone else is too afraid to do it, that basically he's going to knock a few, he's going to ding up Trump enough that people will go, ooh, that looks a bit dented there. Do we really want to buy that again? You know, well, and in, I think in that, that sense, Marion, I, I yeah. think it's quite laudable that what he's doing because it is remarkable how many of these candidates won't even mention Trump's name. Now, obviously, they they know that they've got to win over his voters to win. And therein lies the contradiction of running against him, that you kind of can't say what you want to say about him 
because yeah. you still need those people to vote for you. Is when he thinks he can ding this guy up, do you, what do you give his chances? I give him in terms of his chances of doing that, because right now, like I, I had never heard somebody speak in this way. Certainly, a Republican speak in this way about Trump, and kind of you know nail it to to an extent. The the way others have spoken about him, the way comedians have spoken about him, yeah. but not a a political figure on the platform running for the nomination. This is true. But, you know, they all did initially, like back in early 2016, They, I remember being up in Iowa and Jeb Bush had these giant posters up because he had loads of money, no charisma, but loads of money. And he put up these huge neon posters, which said Donald Trump is unhinged like in, in giant letters. You could see them from highways miles away. Yeah, let's just remind ourselves of the kind of stuff that Jeb Bush used to say to Donald Trump in these debates. Donald, you know, is great at, at the uh, one-liners, but he's a chaos candidate, and he'd be a chaos president. Jeb doesn't really believe I'm unhinged. He said that very simply because he has failed in this campaign. It's been a total disaster. Nobody cares. And frankly, I'm the most solid person up here. I built a tremendous company, and all I want to do is make America great again. Donald, uh, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. That's not going to happen. And I do have the strength. I'm at 42 and you're at three. So, so far I'm doing You know, Doesn't so initially matter. they all were, were taking pot shots at Trump. But then, you see, the reason I'm skeptical about Christie is that I really think that if Trump went to Christie and put it in writing and said, okay, this time you're going to be attorney general. Now, will you just call off your dogs? And um, I think Chris Christie would do it in a heartbeat. I think Chris Christie is about Chris Christie, much as Donald Trump is about Donald Trump, and that he really feels he's vengeful at the moment because Trump really shafted him and then some. But he's also somebody who I think could be bought back and brought back to heel very easily with the promise of a nice juicy bone, as I say, attorney general or some other job on that level. And I think that he'd be back as that he'd turn straight back into wow. the poodle. But also the other thing about Christian, I'll just say this as a last thing, that I really do not respect and dislike was again this was going back to the republican convention in cleveland in 2016 and i was there i remember chris christie came on at this stage and at this stage he had drunk the kool-aid by the barrel full and he was all over trump and he came out and he did this kangaroo court against hillary clinton where he it was like a jacuse and then he would like levy all these claims at her about Benghazi, about everything, her emails, they were half lies. And, you know, there was a kernel of truth, but mostly distortions and exaggerations. And then he would roar, guilty or not guilty. And the crowd would roar and stamp their feet, guilty, lock her up. And to me, it was chilling. It was like a guy who wants to be attorney general. This is his idea. Like it was mob justice. It was like the craziest kangaroo court you have ever seen and it really reminded me of something like a, a flogging in a public square it was ugly 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 and yet he had at another time claimed to be friends with bill clinton so you know he's not a man who i think is overburdened with integrity let's put yeah. it that way but he <laughs> will make the race more interesting he certainly will another person who's it's questionable about how interesting he can make anything is mike pence but his campaign as i see it right now is uh, it's got an unusual angle in that he's kind of going back to old politics. It's nearly like he's saying to people, 
can we just forget about these culture wars and just have a good old campaign like the good old days where I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and we just talk about things? Am I wrong in in viewing it that way, Marion? Because no. it does seem like he's that that granddad who's like, okay, enough about the trans stuff now. Let's get <laughs> yeah. back to talking about politics. Do you know what? He's like a granddad who would say to the kids, okay, put away the iPad now. We're going to play hoops. <laughs> you know, yeah. And for the next 10 years, we're going to play cards and we're going to play hoops. And that's all that's <laughs> to it. You know, I mean, there's he is, God, I watched the CNN town hall and it was excruciating and really disappointing in that Donald Bash, the moderator, and it's not like Pence is a Donald Trump. It's not like he's going to jump up and down and have tantrums. Uh, she let so many things slide with him. You know, he was talking about one of the things that I think is re Republicans are probably going, oh, dear God, would someone shut him up? The, the only thing he said that was in any way probably newsworthy or will register is um, Republicans at the moment, it's very interesting. They're trying to get away from abortion. They're trying to, on the one hand, go, aren't we great? We got rid of Roe v. Wade. But on the other hand, they're going, now can we please talk about something else? Can we please talk about something else? Because they realize that they really did create a sort of a Frankenstein's monster of the laws in the United States as they deal with abortions. And that so many appalling things have happened and so many women have suffered so much and the uncertainty and, and the injustice and, and just the fact that the Supreme Court has decided by judicial fiat that they're going to roll the clock back for by 50 years for no good reason. So Americans, the, the abortion issue is going to be huge in 2024 and a lot of American women, Republicans and independents as well, are appalled by what's happening in America at the moment and they are going to hold the Republicans to account. So the Republicans are all going... You know, Nikki Haley's going, well, you know, I'll say what I'm going to do about abortion when Joe Biden fixes the border, like all this kind of nonsense to just slither out of talking about it. But Mike Pence, not Mike. So Mike Pence on CNN said that he won't stop basically until there is no such thing as abortion anywhere in the States until every single life. Now, that is his religious belief. And you know what? I respect him for his religious belief. And I respect him also for not hiding behind a door about it like the rest of the Republicans are. But it will do him no favours with the Republicans who are just dying to slither away from that as quickly as they can and, and, and to not talk about it and to talk about anything but that. But he's making it a cornerstone of his mm. bid to get the evangelical vote. But God, you know, he was, he was excruciating. And he also lied. I mean, he's one of those um, Republicans who they talk about abortion up to the moment when the mother gives birth. It's just not true. That would be murder. That, that yeah. No abortions take place in America after the point of viability. They just don't. It just does not happen. And they keep banging this drum. And again, it was something the moderator should have pulled him up on and she didn't. She let it slide. And to me, it's one of those things that it's, a, look, I absolutely respect people's right to be pro-life or, or pro-choice, whichever 
they choose. It's their right, but don't lie about it on either side. And, you know, and, and I think that, that this is what he was doing, you know, grabbing onto those sort of lies that they've been peddling for, for decades and decades. And I say, apart from that, oh my God, he was, it, it, the dullness, like literally they should have checked for a pulse. <laughs> I think but there, again, right. Marion, it just leads to more hand yeah. rubbing in terms of what yeah. is this debate is even going to look like when you have Chris Christie on one side and you have this kind of mannequin on the other who's just being pummeled left, right and centre or not able to get a word in edgewise. Now, he said a bunch of things that we need to maybe reference or you can take your pick. You know, he said he wants to rethink the criminal justice reform bill that Trump signed in. Which he He, supported. Yeah, which he supported. Mm -hmm. He, He said that he'll bring back separation of families, revive family separation at the border if elected, and he has no interest in pardoning the January 6th rioters. That's right. Have any of these made a ripple? No, because you know what? I, it's the way he tells them. You know, somebody else <laughs> yeah. can say that. And honestly, I mean, never mind checking him for a pulse. I should have checked the audience for a pulse. I wasn't sure if it was even live because there wasn't hardly <laughs> a murmur. We weren't moving. You, you didn't want a, a Donald Trump zoo, which is what they had when they were whooping and cheering and hollering and stamping their feet and booing the moderator. But some sign of life or some proof of life would have been nice, you know, yeah. amongst yeah. the audience members. But, um, yeah, I think that there's, you can't talk about Donald Trump. He has his line now, and Donald Trump asked me to choose between him and the Constitution, and I chose the Constitution. And that's his line. That's his, that's his tag now. But I think you can't say that and then say, oh, yes, and I'm going to free all of the mob who beat up police officers and smashed their way into Congress and vandalized the place and, and wanted to hang me, by the way. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so I think it would be a bit odd if he had said, yes, I'm going to pardon them as well because that's just not it, it, it that's a little too inconsistent and anyway Ron DeSantis is going to pardon them everyone's going to pardon them I mean we've so many more people yeah. to talk about in the second half of the show we're going to talk about Doug Bergman whoever the hell he is he really appeared from the bushes Robert F Kennedy and really his journey is quite extraordinary we're going to need to talk about that but before we go to the break I have to say I'm so relieved not to have to say the word debt ceiling again on this podcast oh, yes. for a little while. But the <laughs> floor of the house. Virtuous tonic. Oh my God, that was just the gift that kept taking. The floor of the house, though, was paralyzed for a second day on Wednesday right. amid this uproar from conservatives blocking party line Republican measures. Amounting to, as the Hill referred to it, the biggest blockade since the Speaker's election five months ago. <laughs> Poor old Kevin McCarthy. Like, I mean, you told me. He wanted this the job. Tough, he wanted the job, but you, you said this guy's going to have a very tough life while he's in there. But he, he really does have the air now of a bullied child. And I just feel so, I actually feel so bad for the guy. Am I wrong to feel that way? (laughs) Is this just going to keep going and going and we're going to watch this guy get pantsed in public week after week? This is the guy that wanted that job so badly that he sat through possibly the worst ritual humiliation all live on tv for the world to see um and and where at one point i did almost feel sorry for him. he was just sitting with his head in his hands and you could just see the shame and the humiliation and the dear god make it stop but he wanted that job so much that he 
he nutted it through. The job was never going to be easy. It's never been an easy job for anyone. And for somebody who was born without a spine, which really he was, I think, um, it's an even worse job. It's just, so yeah, be careful what you wish for. That's that's all I'm saying. But it is chaos, though. I mean, this yeah. is, how significant is this blockade? And where does it okay. leave things? Not very. What they want to do is they're determined now to show Kevin McCarthy, who's boss, lest he got any funny ideas last week <laughs> by passing the debt or by raising the debt ceiling. And this is the Matt Gateses and, and the, the, the Don, Don Bishops and the, the, the loonies from the Freedom Caucus. And they've just decided they're, they're on strike. They're on strike. Nothing is going to make it to the floor. That's it. Don't care, Kevin. Don't care what you want. We're going we're gonna to embarrass you. We're going to make you cringe. We're going to make you squirm. And then when we're bored with that, we might just take up tools again and start doing our job. Also, there'll be a recess again soon and they'll be on holidays. And so it's not, um, I mean, Democrats are loving it, of course, because they're going, they're saying, see, we told you, we told you they were crazy. We told you they didn't know how to govern. So for, from their perspective, and, and they joined with the Republicans, of course, to block things um, from going onto the floor. I mean, talk about the, my enemies, enemies, my friend. It makes you think, no wonder people are cynical about politics. 100%. No wonder. Yeah. 100%. I mean, especially after the debt ceiling debacle went on and on and on for so long. Just this silliness of this whole thing that threatened so many people and brought so much stress, I'd imagine, into so many people's lives where they weren't 100% sure if these checks would arrive because these gobshites couldn't get their shit together and agree on something. Yeah. And you're right, Gerald, on that human level, if you are an old age pensioner who is relying on your social security check to eat, or if you're one of the millions of pretty load paid federal workers, like the local postman, the local postwoman working in a sorting office, working in the department, the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, you're not making big bucks. But if you but if your check is stopped for one, two, three, whatever weeks, and then you're probably laid off because of all this chaos, um, you don't deserve that just no. because these people are playing silly buggers up in Washington. It's, it's really it's shameful. Well, another group of people who certainly haven't got a lot of money are students and people that were previously students. And that was where Biden's student debt relief plan came in. Now, he's voted on a measure that would overturn the this the fate that looked like was in the hands of the Supreme Court. Can you explain this a, a little bit better to me? Because I, yeah. I couldn't quite get clarity on what was going on here. And you're always the person I turn to to go, what is happening with this? Okay, so the student debt thing. Now, I will start by saying I'm a bit ambivalent about this. I don't think this was Biden's best idea ever. I would be all in favour of um, student debt for people who are in low paying jobs, like for kids who are going to become teachers, etc. But this was just too broad. It wasn't means tested. And I'll give you an example. I know somebody in California who did a master's. It was entirely optional. It was in a very esoteric subject. And she has plenty of money. And she was going to be able to claw back 20 grand for a, a course that she did, that she did as a hobby course, essentially. And, and I really think that people who can afford to go on and do a second or third master's for the love of education, and I absolutely applaud that, but I'm not sure that that should be written off and that taxpayers in low paying jobs who probably never got the chance to go to college should have to pay for it. So I'm all in favour 
of um, student debt relief, but for kids who have come from very poor families, which they are getting it, but I think it should be much narrower and much more means tested. I don't think it should apply to masters. I don't think kids who are going to Harvard and then going to work in the city as hedge fund whatevers and making, I don't think any of those should be entitled to a penny back of taxpayers' money. I think, as I said, if you're going to train as a nurse or a teacher, or if you're going to have some low paying job that really is more of a vocation, I don't think you should have to pay any student fees at all, actually. But I think that I, I just think that that it was a bit of a hodgepodge. And I think Biden's heart was in the right place with this, but I'm not sure that it was ever that great an idea. So what happened was um, he on Wednesday, he vetoed the GOP legislation, which was looking to block the administration's plan, of course, which is to provide the debt relief um, for anyone who's taken out a, stu- a federal student loan, pretty much. Um, and I, as I say that, there are certain parameters, but we're talking, It's in my view, it's too widely available. So anyway, um, Biden has vetoed that bill, but it still is going to go before the Supreme Court anyway, because the Supreme Court is still going to hear a challenge to it. So even though for now it's going ahead, um, the, the it, it's possible that it may still be, be overturned by the Supreme Court, who may say that he was acting beyond his constitutional limits, that he doesn't actually have the right to cancel a federal debt and... and basically cancel from the public purse about five billion, no, more than five billion, billions and billions of dollars um, worth of money. And I think that that um, it's like at the moment about, six, I think about six, 26 million people have denied it, have were applied for it and were d- deemed to be eligible straight away. That's 26 million people in, in all types of colleges, in all areas, at all levels of, of third level education. And uh, as I say, I think that it would be better. Um, I suspect the Supreme Court will uh, will strike it down in any case. But I think that it would be better if it were a more surgically applied if, um, debt relief in any case. Wow, it's just a bad look, isn't it? And so yeah. much of this is about optics and would explain why a candidate like RFK Jr. is rising in profile, that there's... There's certain things about the Biden time that while the numbers are good, but there's certain things, just small optics that really are starting to impact on people. I mean, one of them is the age thing, as you say, Marion, like, so I just think it's so funny. There's certain people that I go to and I go, what do you, what do you think of Biden now? And they'll say things to me like, he fell the other day. <laughs> like you know, Jordan, what? with respect to Biden, if you or me were on that stage and somebody had left a god awful big sandbag in front of us, we would have fallen over too. You know, that, know. that was whoever whoever set up that stage. I mean, the sandbag was the size of a large sack of potatoes and it was yeah. just left lying in the middle of the stage. You know, I mean, for Christ's sake. It was, it was you a know, Trump plant, Marion. It was a Trump, that, post, I literally it was a Trump sandbag. <laughs> I really thought somebody has it in for Biden, but that was unforgivable because for everyone on that stage, that was a safety hazard for for everyone on the stage, not just for Biden. And he did take a a ferocious tumble over it. And again, it was immediately Trump had it in an ad straight away. He had literally barely hit the ground and Trump was rolling it out in one of his things where he's mocking and cutting all these bits Mm. together of Biden stumbling and falling and whatever. And yes, Biden does look old and frail. But as we were saying, I think it was last week, if you put Biden's achievements 
through the prism of a 50-year-old man or woman who was president, people will be saying, God, they've done a huge amount. God, they've really achieved a lot of important stuff. So I think that there might be too much emphasis on his age. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I think because it's not going away. It's not going away. This is going to dog him for every second of the mm-hmm. campaign. And interestingly, I was talking to a Republican just was it, it was before the weekend, um, who's a pretty decent moderate guy. And um, he was saying that the, what the Republicans are slightly concerned about is that the big unspoken thing with Democrats is, um, and, and Democrats, I think, believe this as well as Republicans, they don't want Kamala Harris next as president. We've spoken about the reasons for this. A lot of them are very, very unfair. A lot of it's down to misogyny, it's down to racism, but some of it is that she just doesn't seem prepared enough. And a lot of it's down to the fact that the the vice presidency is a lousy job. And as we said, Biden did her no favors mm. by saying, go down there and fix that border. You yeah. know? So, 100% um, poison chalice. Yeah, exactly. we've got, as I said, we've got a lot to get to in the second half of the show, including 62% of Americans in a new poll said that former President Donald Trump should not be allowed to serve as president again if convicted of a serious crime. Well, that serious crime is around the corner. Yesterday, prosecutors told Trump's legal team he is the target of an investigation. This, of course, relates to confidential documents which he brought to Mar-a-Lago. I mean, this is a story, this is a crime that is easy to understand. Never mind your financial and corporate accounting difficulties where the money was just resting in my account, Father Ted style. This is a straightforward over the fence home run you have them or you don't have them you shouldn't have them in your house we footage of you doing this and your claims that the pool flooded and actually damaged your evidence to support yourself so 62 percent of americans saying that he shouldn't serve if convicted of that serious crime we're going to talk a little bit about that as we said the other candidates that we haven't managed to get to we're going to talk about harry Prince Harry in a bit of trouble over what's in that book and what he wrote down on his forms to get into America and lots, lots more. I am, of course, still on tour and going to Armagh, Tralee, Newcastle, Glasgow and Liverpool all before I head off on the holidays the end of July. But the Yerman tour is now on sale and selling out fast. I just got word here that Kilkenny is gone and so is Nace, the first two to sell out. And it looks like London is going to sell out shortly as well. Get there, jigzer.com to get your tickets right now. And uh, come and see me perform this show around the UK and Ireland this autumn. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy. 